Lord St. Michael's, could you please stand?
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what I have done, and by what I have left undone, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace, consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, peace to His people on earth. Glory to God in the highest, peace to His people on earth. Lord God, Heavenly King, Almighty God and Father, we worship You, we give You thanks, we praise You for Your glory. We worship You, we give You thanks, we praise You for Your glory. Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the whole world. Have mercy upon us, receive our prayer. We worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. We worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. For you alone are holy, for you alone are most high God. We praise you for your glory. 
We worship you, we give you thanks. We praise you for your glory. We praise you for your glory. We praise you for your glory. Still my soul will sing your praise, my 
at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus, Father. At the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus.
Let's pray together the Colette. O Lord, you taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love. The true bond of peace and of all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your only Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Come forward. Hi, man. Where's where's the rest of your buddies? <laughs> there we go. Heavenly Father, bless them, and let it be such a great time together as they study the Word and they study all about Jesus and Him crucified and raised from the dead. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And this morning's first reading is from Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me there, here. For God has sent me before you to preserve your life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives in a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and be nearer to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. 
Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Therefore he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 37. We'll begin in verse 19 and read responsibly by the asterisk. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish. The wicked borrows and does not repay. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. I have been young, and now I am old. He is ever merciful and lends. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. This morning's second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 42. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. St. Luke, chapter 6, 
beginning in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you, ha- you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your wo- reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So my question today is what is the essential difference between the world that is perishing and those who are in the kingdom of God which is eternal? That's my question. What's the central difference between those who are in the kingdom of God that lasts forever and those that are not, that are in the world that we're told is perishing? I think oftentimes that is the great drama of our life, is the distinction between the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of this world. And we're somehow straddling the in-between in our minds. Now, of course, our salvation is assured not by our righteousness, but by Jesus' righteousness. But we find ourselves double-minded, where we want the things of this world. We believe the things of this world, the lies that we're clearly told in Scripture are not true, that we need to defend ourselves, that we need to go out and take for ourselves happiness and follow your bliss and all of these things. When the invitation of Jesus and the kingdom of God is lay down your life for one another and trust your Father in heaven to provide. So I want to go back to the beginning. The beginning of human history. It all started with the external enemy, the snake in the garden, right? The predator, the one that you had to defend yourself with. You could think of this even if you want on a more basic level. If you're going through the woods and you're trying to provide for your family, it's pretty darn dangerous for a venomous snake to come out and kill you. You don't have to just associate it with the story in the Garden of Eden. Deeply rooted in humanity is an anti-poisonous reptiles bias. In fact, they've shown this 
in uh, controlled psychological experiments, that there are things that humans are afraid of before ever encountering them. And one of them is the poisonous snake. There's something bad in the world that could get you if you're not careful. And so that's the enemy that we fight against. But then, you know what? There's even more dangerous predators out there. There's the foreigner, the invader, the other humans who are not of your tribe, of your people. People who don't look like you. People who don't believe the things you do. That is the next level of the enemy that we have to defend ourselves against, that we have to fight against. And then, of course, in the great tragedy of Cain and Abel, we realize that actually even our brother... One of our very own flesh and blood can become the enemy. Ultimately, that is the driving force behind the kingdom of this world. It's find the enemies in other people and destroy them. That is the driving force of the kingdom of this world. And it all is out of, this, of the enemy of our souls, Satan. His desire is to divide and conquer, to dis- divide and destroy, to bring death and not unity. But he will love to unify people in the cause of demonizing other humans, of dehumanizing other humans. Of course, the most relevant or let's say the most uh, forefront in our imaginations as the modern day American people is the lynch mob of the early 20th century that would go after people because of their race and that would make an enemy, a scapegoat out of these uh, people mostly black Americans that they were going after and because they had this this impetus, this us versus them mentality, they would get together and uh, they burn the witch, right? It's the same thing. You find the person who's responsible for all your evils. Same thing happened in the witch trials like I was mentioning. The cows get sick. You find the witch. You burn the witch because it must be somebody out there That is bringing misfortune to you. Of course, the most common and trotted out far too frequently is the example of the Nazis in Germany. Finding the Jews. If we just killed the Jews, then our nation would be better. This is not new. This is actually the pattern of all of human history outside of the kingdom of God. It's to find those people... Who, if you kill them, then your life will be better. If you destroy them, if you dehumanize them, then your life will be better. What is going on? We all know that that's wrong. And yet, it takes on far more subtle forms in our day and age today. Maybe it's Justin Trudeau is the enemy that we need to find and hunt down and get rid of. Maybe it's the Republicans or the Democrats or the the rich people. The rich, those are the worst people. They have all the things and we don't have them, so they've got to be the problem. Maybe it's the alt-right, the boomers, those old people, the millennials, pointing the finger at myself, I guess. We always have the people or the group of people who justify our anger. Well, they deserve destruction. And in fact, if you look at the media, it doesn't take a genius to see that that type of rhetoric sells. It's everywhere. Most of the stories I see, you just read through it. Where's the enemy? There's an enemy in there. I promise you there's an enemy. And they're trying to galvanize that that deep thing inside of us. They're trying to gather us around a cause, a purpose. 
Because there's nothing more immediately unifying than everybody agreeing that that person's the problem. You feel really good when you're on the side of right and the other person over there is on the side of wrong. The benefits are obvious. It galvanizes the people into unified action. You could be split up among different race and genders, ethnicity, but if you find a common enemy, you band together real quick to take them out. It also puts the responsibility for the problems that you have in your life anywhere but on your shoulders. Ultimately, at the bottom of it, what we're saying is, just like Cain, when we give in to this temptation, is actually, I don't need to change what I'm doing. I just need to get rid of that other person is the problem. That's the tragedy of Cain and Abel. God comes to Cain because he sees the murder in his heart and he says, careful, sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in. Offer a good sacrifice. Just shape up. The problem's in you, not in your brother. And that is ultimately the difference between the world and the kingdom of God. Where is the responsibility for the remaking of the world? And so as we talk about this, we can find all of these different ways that it sneaks into our heart. We can think about how the poor are being oppressed by the rich, and we can complain about that while we're installing our flat-screen television, tweeting on our $1,000 iPhone, drinking our quad-shot, non-fat, upside-down caramel macchiato hold the phone, while we complain about how the rich have all the money and we are so poor and oppressed. I'm kind of joking, and hopefully you're kind of getting some of this humor. It's like we really have this irony within ourselves where we're really convinced that everybody else is the problem. And I know we're Christians. We've heard the message. And so maybe we're a little better at it than those around us. But man, when I talk about these things, I get convicted. Because when I'm driving down the road, the guy who cuts me off really feels like he's the problem. When the enemy might be my own anger. The true enemy. Or maybe it's big tech and the corrupt politicians. Maybe they're the problem in your life. The reason why your podcast isn't successful. The reason why your business is crumbling. The reason why everything bad in the world is the corrupt politicians and big tech. Or maybe you take another road. This one, when I thought about it, convicted me. Our country is just cursed because of the abortion doctors and the laws that enable evil. So I don't have to participate in taking the responsibility or the difficulties in our country, because that's just those evil people, and I would never do that. Now, I need to make very clear at this moment that we can oppose the evil in the world without villainizing the perpetrators. We can oppose with everything that we have the policies that enable abortion and the practices therein. We can oppose corrupt politicians and corrupt big tech and make our voice heard. In fact, if you read the Bible, the Old Testament prophets, Jesus, and the New Testament apostles have a great tradition of critiquing corruption and power and evil in the world. And we need to be on that side and we need to be wise as serpent, gentle as doves, as we bring the truth of God's goodness to the world that is filled with corruption and evil. 100% we need to oppose the enemies of God. But we're taught in the Bible that the enemies of God are not the people. The enemies of God are the principalities and powers of the air. The demonic influences that can even take residence in our own hearts if we allow them. 
Solzhenitsyn has that great quote that dad used last week where he said, the line between good and evil doesn't go between this group of people and that group of people, but it runs to the heart of every man. Ultimately, the answer to this externalization of the enemy, where we point the finger, where we play the blame game, ultimately the answer is found in Jesus. Jesus' crucifixion is the ultimate example of the lynch mob, of the crowd's tendency to demonize and offer up a scapegoat. Rene Girard is a thinker from the 1900s who explained it like this. We have all of this guilt and shame and suffering bound up in this broken, fallen world, and we would love to get rid of the guilt and the shame. And the easiest way to do that is to put it on that other person. And that's what happened in Jesus' case. The guilt and shame of the entire world, we're told throughout all time, ends up on the cross with Jesus Christ. The responsibility. What Jesus does as God and man is he actually embraces the sin of the entire world from the beginning of time till now. In fact, he was crucified before the foundations of the world were told. This act is the crux of all of history. Everything hangs on the fact that Jesus embraces our pain, our suffering, and our sin. And he takes it into the cross and he transfigures it into our salvation by accepting it. I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused of something, but that is pretty darn different than my reaction would have been in Jesus' place. We are so concerned with pushing the responsibility, pushing the blame out. It's not my fault. Maybe one of the most common responses in our culture today. And yet Jesus says, it's not my fault. And yet I take all the blame, all of the condemnation, all of the violence. I take it on myself. As my uncle, Father Ken, is fond of saying, no one else has to die for the salvation of the world. Jesus died once for all. We don't get to call everybody else subhuman because the human took everything into him. And by doing so, he raised our humanity to participate in his divinity. Now, maybe that's really deeply theological stuff, and I'm taking seminarian, so it's really fascinating to me, but you know, it has some pretty serious consequences for our life that we get to participate in the divinity of Jesus because he participated in our humanity. What that means is we actually get to go forth as the body of Christ to the world. We actually get to send and be the love of Christ in people's situations. We actually get to take the power that is in us, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, and we get to bring healing and hope and life in situations where everybody's playing the blame game. In this case, there's a couple of quotes from the chief priest and the Jewish people when they're crucifying Jesus that are particularly relevant. The chief priest says, it's fitting that one man should die for all. Prophetically, as he's condemning an innocent man. And that's true. It's fitting. Jesus died that all might be saved. And in fact, at the same time, the Jewish people a few verses later say, let his blood be on us and our children. Praise be to God. What they're saying is we accept the consequences of murdering the Son of God. What they didn't realize is that by God's goodness, 
The consequences were their own salvation. Actually, we actually, nowadays, we take it as a matter of course. It's in our songs, it's in our liturgy. Like, let the blood of God is our salvation. But back then, they didn't know what they were saying. And yet, God is so good, He took the most evil act in all of history. That is crucifying the source of goodness and life. And He turned it into the power within us to be a part of His salvation of the world. I'm trying to say that we actually have a role to play. That the cross is not done. It is finished, but it's not done. I don't know if that makes any sense. But we are actually marching through history, bringing the cross of Christ with us, that more and more people might experience the freedom of giving up the blame game, taking up our own cross, accepting responsibility, and walking it out with God in Christ. It comes full circle. We're forced to accept that the true enemy is within us. It's illustrated beautifully in our liturgy when we read about the passion narratives and we're called to say, crucify him with the crowd. We're called to participate with the villain. We're called to identify as the villain in the narrative. Because by accepting that we have that villainy within us, the fallen, broken humanity within us, and giving it up, we actually let go of it, and it becomes justified, transformed, forgiven in the cross of Christ and in the work of Christ. But you know what? If you want to hold on to your sin and justify yourself, then the cross of Christ becomes meaningless in your life. That's why we, go, that's why we confess every Sunday. We confess our sin. Because you know what? Sin will kill you if you hold on to it long enough. If you hide it in shame. But we have a greater hope even than that because he that has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so while all the responsibility rests on your participation, your cooperation with him, we can also trust his spirit to guide us every step of the way. The Lord orders the path of the good man, we read in our psalm this morning. And so because of all of this stuff that we've been talking about, because Jesus came and he turned The problem on its head. The problem where we said the enemy is out there and we need to destroy them. And we accepted that actually the true enemy is the fight we fight within ourselves. And we were given the victory over that enemy and the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Because of that, Jesus is able to give this teaching that sounds absurd outside of it. If you were paying attention to our gospel this morning, which I'm going to read right now, in case you weren't, there's some absurd commands coming out of Jesus' mouth. And it only makes sense because the cross of Christ is so powerful to transform us. And so let's read here in Luke 6, 27. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, okay, that's important. Why is he saying, I say to you who hear? Because he knows that it's really hard for us to hear this message. He's getting their attention. Hey, pay attention. This is hard. This is difficult. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. That is a hard saying. The disciples say that elsewhere, but it applies here. That is a hard saying, Jesus. 
But you know, we have a great illustration of this in our Old Testament today. Joseph. What happens in Joseph's life? He gets given this beautiful cloak. I'm assuming he's wearing a tunic underneath. And he goes out and his brothers, what do they do? It says, bless those who curse you. They curse him who spitefully use you. They sell him into slavery. That's pretty spitefully used. And it was from spite that they were doing this. To him who strikes you on the cheek, they beat him up a little. Offer the other also. And then from him who takes away your cloak, what do they do? They take his cloak of many colors away. As the brothers of Joseph throw him into the pit and sell him into slavery. But you know what? Somehow God was in Joseph's heart and mind. Because he didn't respond in resentment and bitterness. Instead, as soon as he gets sold into slavery, what does he do? He becomes the chief slave, the pinnacle of slavery. Instead of becoming angry and bitter, he works as unto the Lord. And he gets promoted because the favor of God is on those who trust him and follow him. And give up bitterness and walk in forgiveness. And then he's at the pinnacle of slavery. And you know what? There's more to this verse. From him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Well, what happens next to Joseph? The wife of his master tears his tunic off. What happens next? She tears his tunic off and uses it as the proof needed to say, he tried to assault me. And he gets cruelly and again bitterly betrayed. So then he gets thrown in prison. Okay, fine, Joseph, we get it. You were really good, but now you have every right to curse God and die. Like Job and his wife tells him. Why don't you just give up? But what does he do? He becomes the chief prisoner. I don't know what that means, but it happens. How do you do that? A shameful servant who has done the worst possible thing, taken advantage of his wife's, uh, uh, the, the wife of his master, he gets thrown in prison, and yet he becomes the manager of that prison. Because you know what? It says, give to everyone who asks of you. And from those who take away your goods, do not ask them back. And Joseph didn't. Instead, when the prison guard came along and asked him to do something, he gave. It's absolutely obscene. This guy is a paragon of virtue. Somehow. And yet that's the calling that we are called to. We're called to emulate him. We're called to emulate Jesus. We're called to look at these examples and realize that the kingdom of God has supplanted the kingdom of this earth. And that if you want to get ahead, you've got to get with the program. And the program is not seven steps to success. It's not a clearly laid out path. It's a path of taking up your cross and following him. It reminds me, briefly, of Solzhenitsyn when he gets thrown into the gulag. This guy that we like to comment he's a writer out of the soviet union who got thrown into the gulag and you know what he did when he got thrown into the gulag instead of complaining bitterly like we expect joseph to do he wrote down or he memorized a list in his mind he went through everything he ever did wrong and confessed and repented of it what's the key here what's the difference the difference is in the world you're told to find the person who should take the blame but in christianity we're called to take up our cross accept the consequences of our action, and then be transformed in the power of the risen Christ. We get to participate in his death and his resurrection. 
So what else did Jesus say here? He says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This is where he kind of explains the way the kingdom works. If you're paying attention, these are some principles. But if you love those that love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you received, you hope to receive back, what credit is it to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. He's just turning every principle of good economics upside down. Every principle of how to operate in the world. He's just turning them upside down and saying, or you could be a son of God in my father's house that has many rooms and the cattle on a thousand hills. And instead of trying to get your buck out of the next guy, instead of trying to get your due out of the culture and the society, you could give and trust that it'll be given to you. And that's where we're going to end today is we're going to get these promises at the end that highlight, okay, Jesus, this is really hard. What do you mean? He lays it all out here. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. You want to be a son of God? I do. This is how you do it. And then it says why? For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. What's he saying? You do these things for your enemy because guess what? God did them all for you already. If the enemy is within the heart of every man, then guess what? Loving your enemies is a part of the journey to loving yourself. That you cannot love yourself if you hate your brother. That's my argument today. That you cannot love yourself if you hate those who persecute you. If you hate your enemy, however justified. That love begets love and hate begets hate. So what Jesus is saying, if you want to be a part of my family, if you want to have my DNA within you, you've got to love your enemies. Do good, lend, hope for nothing in return. For he has already been kind to us, the unthankful and the evil. We're not given any wiggle room in this. But the hope is so good. Because as he closes up, he says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you in good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's the ultimate promise there, right? If you give, God multiplies blessings upon you. I'll tell you, when I hear that shaken together, I'm sure there's a better analogy, but my favorite lately is a good cocktail, man. When you shake that thing and it just comes out and it's perfectly crisp and cool and everything works, you know, the individual ingredients don't, but when you shake it together, it works. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But I'm looking forward to the blessings of God, not in this measure, but in the measure that we give. So let's give. Let's love. Let's be sons of God and let's see the outpouring of his abundance on us. There is no end to what he can do for you in your life. Amen? Amen. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, 
God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was created man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Because of Jesus, we have been given newness of life and access to our Father in heaven. Therefore, let us bring our requests and those of the whole world to Him in prayer. For the church, that she will send forth laborers into the world to reap the harvest God has prepared. Lord, in Your mercy. For the conversion of those who persecute God's people. Lord, in Your mercy. For our eyes to be open to truly see our position in Christ Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. For the life-giving Spirit of God to breathe over the church and the nation, that a culture of life will be created that welcomes the stranger, feeds the hungry, cares for the aged, and cherishes every child. Lord, in your mercy. For authors, artists, film producers, and songwriters, that they will glorify God in their work, and encourage righteousness in the people. Lord, in your mercy. For estranged family members, that they, like Joseph, will humble themselves and be reconciled to one another. Lord, in your mercy. For our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, your mercy endures forever. Hear our prayer and give us the grace to be a merciful people as you are merciful. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace, Lord, be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor. Peace. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Well, we're rapidly approaching our Lenten season, which uh, two weeks from now we'll have a pancake dinner. (laughs) Why do we get so excited about that? (laughs) 
our chef is gone. I don't know who's uh, who's. Michael's the new chef. Okay. So praise be to God. You don't want to miss those sausages. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the Lenten season. It's always a time to, uh, you know, he's been screaming to me, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. <laughs> it's like, so uh, I'll have no excuse then, will I? Anything else going on? Home groups, if you're able to help with setup or takedown, uh, make sure to let your home group leader know. And we'll, we'll make sure we get all those different jobs covered on Tuesday night. And then uh, Ash Wednesday will be the night after here at church and also in the morning. Thanks to everybody who gave of themselves and their time to uh, come and work at the church yesterday. Uh, blessings like that do not go unnoticed by God. It says, given you shall be given to you. And we expect your lives to overflow. Amen. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Pieces seem to shatter and gather off the floor. All that seems to matter is that I don't feel you anymore. No, I don't feel you anymore. Oh, I need a reason to sing. I need a reason to see I need to know that you're still holding The whole world in your head I need a reason to see I 
baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love Him, for those who want to love Him even more. Come if you have much faith. Come if you have little. Come if you've been here often and come if you haven't been here long. You've tried to follow and you who failed, you come because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him here, come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. <laughs> Father all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death. And he's called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you've called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. And we join in their unending hymn, praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy. 
so they may become for us the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, a death he freely accepted. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. supper was ended, he took the cup again, he gave thanks and praise, and he gave the cup to his disciples, and he said, drink this all of you, this is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. Remember those who are sick or infirm in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day Connie and Susan and Serena and Naomi and Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Denisha, Dan, Mary Ellie, our Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You may lift up names of those who you have been praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. May we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Christ.
God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food from the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you. 
with gladness and singleness of heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness, the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Amen. rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. And I am saved.